Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What is up, my friend? It's Johnny King. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Hope you are having an amazing morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this. Um, I just watched the very fascinating documentary about Tiger Woods on HBO Max. And I want to talk about some of the takeaways real quick. Um, It's, man, some of it I resonate with, um, with my own with my own upbringing in, in different ways, you know, <laughs> you know, because I'm, I, you know, I think about myself in terms of like, I'm like the caliber of Tiger Woods, right? Definitely not. However, we're all human beings. That was a joke, by the way. Uh, we're all human beings and we all struggle <laughs> with the pressures of life. Uh, Tiger obviously is like, that's at the far spectrum of what any person could probably experience in this human, you know, in this human experience, in this human life is being on the world stage and having everyone watch you from when you were, before you can even remember, you know, little tiger was on like, I don't know, he was on like the Today Show or Calib, you know, the, the, not the Today Show, but something, he was like not even two years old or maybe he was two years old and he was swinging a club uh, with his dad there on TV and Bob Hope and I forget some of the other older guys. Uh, and so it just goes into the very first episode. There's two episodes. One's, the first one's about an hour and a half. The second one's an hour and 40 minutes. But it chronicles, you know, Tiger's upbringing. And they really take a dive, uh, a deep dive into looking at his father, Earl Woods. His kind of background, his whole... <clears throat> excuse me, creating of the image of Tiger Woods um, and how this is kind of like all by design. He says all the right things in, in the public eye, you know, like, oh, yeah, Tiger's free to choose whatever he wants to do and yada, yada, yada. And yet, uh, obviously, we, we know how close of a relationship they had. Well, we don't all know. If you don't know, they, you know, Tiger even says he's like my best friend. He's my dad, a brother, like all things. And it's it's interesting. Very, very interesting. Because as Tiger continues to grow, um, and once he really, really, you know, <laughs> makes it, and he's like, you know, deemed as one of the best, if not the best, as he's continuing to, to chase a record uh, that Jack Nicklaus set, of winning like 18 majors. <clears throat> uh, it, it It's interesting because Tiger starts, you know, ultimately Tiger sees when he's a, a young man, he sees his father and another gentleman who were very close to Tiger, um, you know, who were in their probably 40s or whatnot at the time. Um, you know, they'd all go to the golf course and then they would disappear with these blondes, you know, different women that Earl Jones would be teaching how to play golf. And then they would disappear to go have cocktails in his Winnebago. Right. 
So Tiger starts learning at a young age too that that's what his dad has done, right? Um, and yet at one point, spoiler alert, if you haven't, you know, if you want to watch, I'm not going to give all the all the details away, but if you want to watch the documentary without knowing, <laughs> stop listening to this podcast. Um, at one point, Tiger's first girlfriend, first like high school girlfriend, or yeah, into college, I think he... He says he's going to be coming home from college one night, but he actually comes home the night before and stays the night at his girlfriend's house, right? And when his parents somehow find out about this, they flip a lid. They're so pissed. So much so, I mean, Tiger has dated this girl for three years, right? They're best friends. There's all this home video of them being like, you see a side of, you know, young tiger where he's goofy and having fun and just like so joyful. Um, he sends a letter to her that's like a breakup letter that's like, I never want to see you again. I never want to talk to you again. You know, you're not good for my, it's like, talk about like a manufactured letter, right? And that was like the last time she talked to him. Like they're full on in love with each other. They're dating. And then he spends one night over her house and they're like, you know, his parents were like, you're going to, if you were to get her pregnant, that would be the end of tiger. If you know, like all this stuff, like you have to be so, you know, aware and diligent. They came on down on him so hard. So the pressure is at home to live up to being this tiger woods, you know, that Earl Jones says when he's like, you know, still in high school, he's like, he's, this is his most precious gift and he's going to have this major, major impact on humanity, kind of like this second coming of Christ through golf, um, especially being a, a black. Well, he's part black. He's part, what, Asian. He's part Indian. He's part, like, even uh, Caucasian. He's part everything or part a lot of things, let's say. Anyway, so he has all this pressure because he's still viewed as black um, to <laughs> change a lot of things in in, in the history of uh, golf. With golf being, you know, a, kind of a a white white man's sport, so he has all this pressure, right? And of course, it chronicles his uh, his downfall, his injuries, um, making his way back, his comeback. It's it's very fascinating. But a few things that I wanted to talk about specifically is that, you know, what I've learned through, you know, psychology and everything else is that a lot of times, most often, whether you've, whether you have, you personally have grown up with parents or maybe you didn't know your parents, uh, but you were raised by adults, right? Some legal guardian. Most often, our blueprint of who we are, of who you are, on a day-to-day basis is the result of your desire to to acquire the love of whomever parent whomever parents love that you craved the most okay so for instance in my family upbringing my mom was always around i just i knew my mom loved us 100% unconditionally she was all in she was always there you know she was running the the business she was the ceo of our family 
my father, on the other hand, he was working through his own things, and he was a workaholic and building his business. So I rarely saw him. And when I did see him, I don't have a whole lot of memories of, of uh, emotionally connecting with him, right? And so although I was super close with my mom, and I would, I would consider myself a mama's boy growing up, I actually have come to learn that I craved my dad's love because I didn't have it. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about your life. Who, what parent or who, who raised you or didn't raise you, I should say, <laughs> possibly, whose love did you actually crave more? It's not that whose love you had more because I had my mom's love, but I craved my dad's love. And so out of that, you have to start asking your question, who did I have to be to acquire his love or her love? or their love, right? So for my dad, I had to be a risk taker. I had to be entrepreneurially uh, like minded. I had to be thinking about um, new ideas, things that could be patented, ways to make money. You know, like that, that was my dad. He was uh, an entrepreneur through and through. And so whenever we would sit down and be like, dad, I got this great idea. He's like, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I, I got this great idea. What about this and this and this and this? He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know what you could do even better than that? You could take that same thing and apply it over here, you know, because this is how I built my business. I took this thing and did this and this. So I want you to always think bigger. So in in some ways, and, and again, no offense to my dad, I get where he was coming from, where his heart was coming from, and I can understand as a an adult now but even as a child, though, a lot of times it was like no matter how great of an idea you had, it was somewhat minimized or dismissed as not being good enough, right? So is it any wonder Is it any wonder that I have struggled with that whole idea of no matter what I do, it's not ever good enough? I think a lot of people actually struggle with that, right? That's kind of not just something that my dad did or that I felt. He probably felt the same thing that he was, you know, as he grew up. So he probably got it from his father, right? So it's not it's not effective to blame um, from a victim standpoint, like, oh, my mom or my dad or whomever made, you know, made me out to be this way. But I want you to understand this so that you can be a practical psychologist and be able to start to kind of identify why you are the way that you are for the areas that need to uh, need to be further investigated and integrated. And I say integrated because even in my mind, if I think about something that needs to be healed, well, if something needs to be healed, then I'm presupposing that something is broken, right? So I like to come from a place in my thought where no, I... I have everything that I need within me now. All I need to do is to recognize it. Okay? So that's why I want to I'm looking to change my vocabulary to not include oh I need a healing or I need to improve like no you know what I just need to integrate this stuff because I have it already. I just need to discover it maybe a little bit more and and implement it. Okay? And so I say all that because I want you to ask, you know, who about who's parent or whose love that you craved the most because coming back around full circle to tiger he clearly craved his father's love more than his his mother's although they both 
played a huge part in creating Tiger Woods, right? But then after, pretty much once Earl Woods passed away, Tiger's dad, that's when things started to really unravel. Now, Tiger was already kind of going down a slippery slope um, with going to Vegas and having a lot of different mistresses like he saw his dad have. Um, And so there was like the Tiger was kind of taught at a very young age. You could have this, you know, public persona, but then, you know, behind the scenes, you can, you can do, you can get away with doing these other things because that's what his dad did. Right. And, uh, so it just was fascinating from that standpoint that that's what he experienced and that's what he ultimately found himself running to himself as, as well. Always when I'd go over to the Woods house, it was quiet, it was serene, it was like like zen, right? So certainly a lot of Tiger's mental toughness uh, was was created at home that he translated to how where he could go and do some of the most amazing things on the golf course. I didn't realize that like, you know, I forget... 2008, 2009, something like that. He won a major, maybe one of his last majors, with a broken leg. He had like two fractures in his leg. I mean, I kind of vaguely remember this, but uh, I don't think I was fully aware. And then when they go into him, I'm like, holy moly. Like, again, it's it's kind of like I liken it to the Michael Jordan game where he played with food poisoning. Um, the, the mental toughness to go out and to compete and to win is crazy most of us would be like dude just (laughs) pull out of the tournament go go get some surgery like you know the i don't know that's without that knowing what that competitiveness is like that he grew up with and that he was charged with it's uh it's pretty insane so going back to you know him not really being able to express his emotions you know he never really had much of a childhood not a normal childhood at least right he has his parents telling him, you know, telling him to write a letter to break up with his girlfriend. Like, but because he wasn't really, let's say, educated or given the tools in which to, to you know, work through interpersonal relationships with people, the, the solution was just to cut people out of his life. And it's interesting because I've seen this in my adult life that people who really struggle with communication – who don't know how to express their feelings, they will more likely just say, you know what? I've, I mean, I've literally seen it within my family and my extended family. It's like, well, we have a disagreement. I'm going to cut you out of my life. We're done. That's literally where I was actually right before my father came out of the closet. I was telling my older sister, I'm done. So I think there's certainly part of it is just human nature where if we feel a lot of pain, our solution is I'm going to cut out the pain and then I'll be better. But the problem with that is especially when it comes to relationships, whether it be romantic relationships, friend, you know, friend relationships and, and tigers just kind of cut people, a lot of people out that have been long term, you know, entire life, lifelong friends. He's cut them out. I mean, even according as long as this, you know, since this documentary has been put out there, um, because Tiger's real focus was only about winning. And if you were getting in my way of winning, then then <laughs> you're out. It just makes me realize uh, 
younger versions of me too as well you know sometimes when we feel those those resistances we can cut people out and i just say that the the harder thing to do is to stay in a relationship is to stay in communication is to work through the challenges there but uh you know i i think <laughs> as it relates to to friends family parents I just high, you know, you, you can see on a major, major scale here of how high you can go and how low you can go in Tiger Woods' case when you have a lot of uh, dysfunction, you know, and a lot of underlying unhealthy training, mental toughness, if you will, when it comes to like actually being able to focus on the things that are important in life and what's so interesting after tony uh, t- tony after tiger um tony the tiger <laughs> oh man they're great uh after he gets his back fused uh <laughs> i can't get so many freaking jokes going through my head i should just i should just let him out um <laughs> after he eats his uh wheaties Tiger Woods does and uh, gets a back fusion surgery. He he literally doesn't know if he's going to play ever again. He has no idea. And so what he's done in the last several years to battle back, and he wins the Masters again, I think, in 2019, um, if I'm remembering what I just saw in the documentary well enough. Um, but you see him just returning to loving the game. and And the announcer's noticing, like, you did not see this in the old Tiger where he was like fraternizing with other players. He was making jokes. He was having, and he still had fun. He still won, you know, but you could see the little boy return to him where he just was having fun. And so there's a way, if you ever feel the pressure to make money, which I often do too, to uh, like, there, we have to keep pushing ourselves to be like, you know what, if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. In my humble opinion, it's got to be enjoyable for you. And if it feels like it's work, dude, then it's just going to burn you out. It's got to be connected to your reasons for why you want to do it versus someone else's reasons, right? A lot of what Tiger did was for his parents, right? And it probably felt like work, right? Versus after his dad's gone, he comes back in 2019. It looked like he was actually having fun because he was doing it for his reasons, that is literally the difference between work and play. Work is something that you do for someone else's motives. Play is when you do something for yours. Okay? Even if it's hard work, it still can be fun. It can still be play in many regards. If you're doing it for you, like I get so excited. <laughs> I've really been feeling this lately to go to the gym and push my body to a place where it's really uncomfortable and painful. Why would I do this? I have my reasons as to why this is important to me. If I was doing it for anyone else, I'd be like, this is not worth it. <laughs> I'm sure some of you listening to this can understand and can attest, like, I don't want to be here, but this trainer is making me do this, and I should be here. And like, man, that's a slippery slope. So anyways, I hope there's some nuggets in here that uh, that you can take away to, to really look at unpacking why you are the way that you are how you interact with other people or don't interact do you do you burn bridges and just give up on people do you really stay in the fight and work through 
man, there's a lot of good stuff um, if you can read between the lines in that documentary. So I highly recommend you check it out. Really, really good. Um, but anyways, I hope you're having an amazing day, like I said, and uh, find some, some inspiration in this episode to fuel you. And until we meet again, my sister, my brother, have an amazing day. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.